What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Cart Podcast presented by Thunderblogsports.com. It is myself and Brady Fredrickson breaking down the American League Central for the 2023 season. We go through all five teams. Brady's a White Sox fan, so we dive heavy into them as well as the Tigers, Royals, Guardians, and Twins. We go through it all. It was a lot of fun to record. I did want to lead this episode off with a little bonus segment. I know with the NL West, I did that for the World Baseball Classic and the U.S. game that happened the night we recorded. We do talk about the World Baseball Classic in the episode, so that's not what this is about. The big news in my corner of the baseball world, not AL Central related, but worth mentioning the Reese Hoskins injury. He had a non-contact injury to his knee. Turns out it's a torn ACL. He's out for the year. Just stinks is really the the take that I have for it. Obviously, he was a big part of the Phillies throughout really this life cycle of the podcast and has been a, you know, a feature of the team, whether it's been on the field, whether it's been at the plate, whether it's been on, you know, the socials and all that sort of stuff. I know the last part doesn't totally matter, but it's worth noting, you know, him, his wife, their dog, Rookie, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But, you know, it, it, he's been a staple within Philadelphia. And the reason I, I put it all that way is that he was in a contract year. He's scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the season. And now there's just a lot of unknowns. You know, this was, you know, hopefully going to be like a contract year for a lot of players, a really good year. And he was a part of a lot of projections to be batting, you know, in the middle of the order once Bryce Harper came back. And whether you loved him or you hated him was a part of the lineup and a part of the defense. And, you know, the, that last part obviously is where the love-hate comes from, whether you're on either side of that aisle. But, you know, it just stinks. And now there's a lot of question marks as to how the Phillies are going to address it, how they're going to construct the lineup. And yeah, it, it was worth noting and worth my comments of A, hoping that he gets better soon. If you're missing the entire year, obviously it's not a, we're you know f- keeping our fingers crossed like the Bryce Harper news that he might return early. He's missing the whole season. So you hope that that's all he misses and that, whether he gets a contract from the Phillies or he gets a contract from another team that he's ready to go by spring training and by opening day of 2024. You don't want a guy's career to just end on a non-contact injury, especially if you've seen the video and you saw just, uh, just stunk. It just stunk to watch it, man. um, I'm trying not to pause and say too many ums, but it just stinks. So I'm not going to take too much more time on it. I don't want to step on the NL East preview, which is coming next week and all of that. But it was worth noting because it happened today. And, you know, it was on my mind while I was researching for this episode and all of that. I know a lot of you like when it's, you know, just me giving my gut reactions to stuff. So I wanted to throw that in there. If you didn't like this, if you're upset and you were or upset that I, I threw in some Philly stuff because I always spin things back to the Phillies, including in this episode. Uh, let me know. 
I do listen to the listener suggestions and all that kind of stuff, but I felt like I owed you guys some sort of, hey, this happened today. I'm not going to ignore it because we're not doing the NL East kind of thing. Um, but enjoy the episode. Brady and I had a lot of fun recording it. Again, he's a White Sox fan, so he watches all five of these teams a good amount throughout the year. We talk a little bit about the World Baseball Classic finale. It was a lot of fun to record. Follow us on all the social medias. We drop those in the episode. Make sure you're subscribed to the Bullpen Cart. We are doing the rest of the division previews. Some interesting takes on how we're doing them. Some are coming soon. We're going to try to get them all out by opening day, which is in less than a week now. It's next Thursday, recorded this Thursday night. So literally within the seven-day window to do five divisions, find out how we're going to do it. Be subscribed to the podcast. But enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. And here we go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bullpen Cart Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com. Back at it again with another division preview. I'm proud and excited to bring back Brady Fredrickson to preview the AL Central with me. Brady, how are you doing, man? I'm good. This is my favorite uh, annual podcast appearance I make all year. It's also the only one I make, but yeah. I really do look forward to this every end of spring training. So yeah. I'm super happy to be here. Well, we always say we need to do one in the regular season, and this year I'm going to hold myself to remembering to invite <laughs> you back. Not just us talking about random trades in our fantasy league. So please hold this me time, to hey, that. Both, both of them sound good. I like yeah. that. Well, we're here to talk the AL Central. Obviously, you are a White Sox fan. I have a little uh, Wednesday, or Thursday night reading to, to tell you as an AL Central fan, but how are you feeling about the season going into 2023? Oh, I am I am in a very, very dark place with that team. Um, <laughs> the the Tony La Russa era really, really had a, did a number on me, and then the offseason they had where they – through the biggest contract in team history, which is not an impressive uh, statement at Andrew Benintendi. Um, and then the Mike Clevenger situation, like we can get into it when we get to them, but it was a, uh, it, it had me questioning my, my, my fanhood for a little bit there, whether I should start to shop around for a new team even. Yeah. Um, believe me with the Mike Clevenger situation, the flyers were in a very similar spot last year and I've just been rooting for them to lose this year. So I don't know if you need to go that far because <laughs> there, I don't think there's a, generational talent in the 2024 draft pool but uh right you know but you know to each no just got to grit and just got to just got to grit and bear it and, and hate watch them all year i guess that's the only option right yeah i just did that with them uh winning in a shootout which <laughs> my my wife and i both like fist pumped when they won but we were also like oh shit like we're not supposed to do this like you know <laughs> fire the gm and all that but we're not we're not here to talk about hockey we're here to talk about baseball i mentioned it I have a little uh, Thursday night reading. I was telling you just offline. I uh, I got an email this afternoon, my personal Gmail account, to try out Google's version of ChatGPT called Bard. And, you know, I was doing some research at lunch and figured, all right, let's try this thing out. Let's see if it can help me out, if, it, if there's something I'm missing. And, um, you know, it gives you a couple couple uh, drafts to, to read. And, you know, at first I'm thinking this looks good. Like, oh, it's giving me projections, all this kind of stuff. Then I started to read it, and I'm going to read one of these to you. It's pretty quick. 
The 2023 AL Central is shaping up to be a competitive division with the Cleveland Guardians, Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox, Detroit Tigers, Kansas City Royals all vying for a spot in the postseason. The Guardians are the defending division champs, and they return a strong core of players, including Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber, and Miles Straw. They also made some key offseason acquisitions, including acquiring Josh Naylor and... Carlos Correa. So we're off to a hot start with the uh, the Google Bard. I missed all those moves, actually. That's amazing. Thanks yeah. for telling me, Google. Yeah, Google knows some stuff we don't know. For the Twins, they said they're, they're another team expecting to contend in 2023. They have a po- powerful lineup that includes Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, and Jorge Polanco. They have a strong pitching staff that is anchored by Jose Barrios and Kenta Maeda. I don't know what's more surprising with that one, the mention of Jose Barrios being the anchor of their lineup or the fact that the the chatbot remembered who Miguel Sano was. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> it only gets better. The White Sox are a team that are in rebuilding mode for the uh, that has been in rebuilding mode for the past few seasons, and they are starting to show signs of improvement. They have a young core of players that, that include Yohan Mankata, Aloy Jimenez, and Luis Robert. They also made some key offseason additions, including acquiring Andrew Vaughn and Shea Suzuki. Yes, I remember that trade vividly when we <laughs> traded for Andrew Vaughn and Shea Suzuki from the Cubs. Yes. <laughs> the Tigers are, are a team that's coming off a 98 loss season. They have some talented players on their roster. They have a young core of players that includes Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, and Akil Badu. They also made some key offseason additions that include Javier Baez. And Eduardo Rodriguez. That one was better, just a yep. year off. Yep, exactly. And then the Royals are a team that's in rebuilding mode. They have some young talent on their roster. They they have a young core of players that include Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez, and Vinny Pasqu- Pasquatino. They made some key offseason additions that including acquiring Nick Prado and Drew Waters. I think the bot doesn't quite understand what acquiring means. I don't that's think it does that's either. my main takeaway here. Yeah. And it says at the end, uh, the division is shaping up to be a competitive division with the Guardians, Twins, White Sox, Twins, and Royals all having the potential to make the playoffs. And it will be interesting to see who comes out on top. It's funny because the other drafts don't include the Tigers and the Royals as potential to make the playoffs. So this first one, the one that immediately shows me, um, was really optimistic. Yeah, so this tells me I need to open up my FanDuel Sportsbook account and bet some money on the Kansas City Royals to make the playoffs in 2023. Yeah, you know, maybe Google has a little stake in uh, maybe the opposite. I don't (laughs) don't know if they have whatever the betting version of a put would be, but uh, maybe they have that. The other ones, there's some mention of Tristan McKenzie. There's some mention of of Dylan C. So there are some some offerings in here that, you know, have a little bit better of – of things, but Jose Barrios appears in all three of them, which is funny for those that don't know. He was traded what two years ago? Was that trade with the with the Blue Jays, or was it in twenty twenty? I think it was. It was twenty twenty one. I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Javier Baez two off seasons ago, twenty one into twenty two. Um, a number of these players that were key acquisitions have been playing for their teams for many years, which we'll I'm sure we'll mention as we talk about them. But I don't know. I as soon as I read Carlos Correa signing with the Guardians. I just started laughing and thought it would be a good, uh, good way to open the show. 
it, it, at least it tells me that we cannot be any more wrong about our predictions and our comments on the division than what has already been laid out by the AI. So that makes me feel good about my analysis going forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, lighten up the mood, you know. But we're going to jump in team by team, do it by city name. So we start with your White Sox, and we kind of kind of let it off of your feelings going into the year. Talk to me a little bit about the offseason. You mentioned a couple of the moves. Break it down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, so they, they, they come through the La Russa era. They make the playoffs his first year in that shortened 2020 season. Um, lose in very heartbreaking fashion uh, to the A's. Come back the next year, make the playoffs again. Um, again, I think they've always just underachieved or underperformed what their expectation would be. Um, again, they went to the playoffs. They got spanked by the Astros that year. That was an embarrassing uh, series Last year, the floor kind of fell out. They lost. Larusa missed the last like X part of the season because of a heart thing. Um, it was just a bad year overall. Fast forward to this year. Now they are in this position where they are like full speed win now because you can't rebuild in the fashion they did. They were kind of one of the first uh, baseball teams to copy the Astros and that like massive tear down sell off type of style of rebuild. Sure. Um, and so you can't do that. And then four years later, be like, all right, time to do it again. So now you've got this weird situation where there are still young players, like their pitching staff specifically, like Garrett Crochet out of the bullpen. He's coming back from uh, Tommy John this year. Michael Kopech's one of those guys that got in those trades. Dylan Cease was a Cy Young contender for parts of last season. So they, and Lucas Gilito is still pretty young. Um, so they still have really talented pitchers and offensively, there's still guys like, um, Tim Anderson and Moncada and Lewis Robert and Ben Tendi now and, and Jimenez, but all of these things that are like in- interesting pieces that have never really collectively done anything like at all. So that's sure. the thing is trying to figure out like if they just have a bunch of guys or if they have an actual team. And that's where I go back and forth on trying to figure out if they'll be good is that idea of like just because you have talent doesn't mean it's going to be a good baseball team sure yeah and and that's a really good way to put it of just a lot of guys that have either as you put it underachieved as well as you know, some obviously some injuries here and there throughout the past couple of years and it has been like this is a team that i think the last couple of years when we've done this you've obviously been excited you're a white Sox fan i've been excited for them because it just seemed like that astros model was gonna tip the scales and you know, they weren't going out and doing what the Twins did a year ago, and we'll, we'll talk more about the Twins and their crazy offseason, but, like, how neither of us were buying it, and I don't think really a lot of baseball fans were, and that ended up being right. And the White Sox, I think, are just that team that were waiting for the next step, and I think you're exactly right of just seeing, can they be that full team that can go, maybe not necessarily 1-9 to nine and, and put on a show that way, but still have the reliable guys at the top as well on both the batting order and as well as the pitching staff. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how this, this team goes. I think it's both beneficial and detrimental that you get to play every team in the, in the league now and not to, or in both leagues technically, but you know, not just have to play, you know, within the division and have the dogfight that way. I think that's an interesting thing to bring up for 2023 for, I think all mm-hmm. four, all five teams, but I think the White Sox, especially like getting to, Getting to play some of these other teams, especially some of the shitty National League teams, should help you out that way. Yeah, you'd think. And I think part of it, too, is, you know, 
they have a new manager this year in Pedro Grifol, who they hired from the the Royals coaching staff. Uh, and so it's always interesting when you hire somebody from, you know, within your division, it's, it's doubly interesting when you hire somebody from the, like one of the two teams that were below you in your division at that. Um, but that's another thing that I think part of me wonders if, you know, the Russo had just had them in such a antiquated mindset baseball wise that if, I mean, I know there are the other parts of their their coaching staff, specifically their pitching coach, Ethan Katz, is, and he's been pitching coach for like Lucas Giolito, Max Fried, all those guys from South Lake High School, I think it was, in uh, in Texas. Uh, he's very modern and, and really good at kind of molding guys from broken pitchers like Dylan Cease into potential Cy Young winners. But uh, when you look at the, the big picture, I think that offensively, if they play a little bit more of a modern style of offense instead of just trying to only hit home runs. Yeah. I think that might help them too. And I, it's weird saying that it's modern, but you know, with the rule changes and the shift rule and stuff, like they're going to need to be able to manufacture runs in ways that aren't over the fence. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here that that was the Phillies offense and it worked until it didn't in the final few yep. games of the season. But you know, it, obviously that is a, Huge part of it too, with the shift rules, the pitch clock, and you know, seeing how all that's gonna gonna work for this team. I mean, do you think it's a it's posing well? And maybe I'm just saying this from seeing Tim Anderson's approaches to the plate, you know, almost every day in the World Baseball Classic. But like, is he a guy that can maybe take that next step and be that that you know power source or the reverse of a power source? But you know what I mean the 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 main cog in the machine. <laughs> I think he still can be. He was, you know, he dealt with a lot of injuries last year. Yeah. He only played in uh, 79 games. But if you go back the previous two years, I mean, he was getting MVP votes in 2020 at 322. The year before that, he had 335 in 123 yeah. games. And then 309 uh, two years ago was still 17 bombs and 61 RBI. I think if he's healthy, they're an entirely different team. And that's always been the case for as long as he's been around. Um, because it really, I mean, nobody else in that lineup terms of offense i think it always goes back to Menez, where it's like if he stays healthy he could hit 40 home runs but like can he ever stay healthy and then lewis roberts same thing if yeah. he stays healthy which again only 98 games last year if he stays healthy i think he could be the best player on the team so it's like there's all these different things that like you know the ebbs and flows of those three specifically the only guy i would say on this roster that i've kind of gone from being bullish on to bearish on is is Moncada just because like he's gotten to that point where he's 27 now he hit 212 last year like he flip-flops between being a switch hitter and just hitting his primary hand I, I just don't see like what makes him special he's just a guy you know and that's again one of those centerpiece you know guys that you traded for but I think the biggest I mean the biggest thing of all of this is the fact that like they lost their best hitter last year. Jose Abreu left. He's at the yeah. Astros now. So like, that's a gigantic hole that Andrew Vaughn newly acquired this year, as we heard from the AI bot, <laughs> you know, is really, is really going to have to like step into, and he's got the pedigree to do it. And he was good last year. He had 17 home runs and had 76 RBI, which is like a pretty good season for a second year guy. Um, but I think for them to be at their best, he's got to push like, 25 home runs and 100 RBI, like kind of almost replicate those Abreu numbers, which I know Abreu won the MVP like three years ago in that short season, but like 
the 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 gap as a hitter should not be that far apart at his advanced age. Yeah. And I think with Vaughn being able to play just first base as a like big chunky guy and not have to run around the outfield, that probably is going to bode well for his offensive game. Yeah. That's a really good point too. And yeah, a guy you're hoping to take that next step. And are you excited about Ben attendee? I know you were bearish on the contract, but you said just to have him in the lineup. I think he's good. I think you I think to what you, to your point about like Tim Anderson, I think that Ben attendee gives you another guy who can get on base and does like the little things. And, you know, defensively he's, really good too so that also obviously benefits i just don't think he's like a game breaker like he hasn't changed the trajectory of your team i think did the yankees acquire him at the deadline last year i feel like it was it was just like okay now the yankees have andrew benatendi it wasn't anything good or bad it was just now they've got it you know what i mean yeah 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 it was I mean, we're, he was what? The Rangers, right? Before that? Yeah, it was just another. It was Can- the Royals. No, no, you're right. It was the Royals. Royals. Yeah, yeah. Kind of middle. He went to the Red Sox, the Royals, and he had a good year at the Royals, too. And I think he does things well. But, like, I mean, last year he had a 373 on base. If he had that this year, I'd be over the moon. But, like, the three years prior to that, it was 324, 314, and 343. So that's a big difference. Yeah. You know, we will see what uh, what goes on with your team. We'll get to the projections, obviously, in a little bit. We keep moving, though. Again, city names. So we go to the Cleveland Guardians. Division champs. And one thing, going back to your projections, you were I was very bearish on the Guardians going into last year. And you told me to keep an eye on, on them. So you were right about the Guardians. They ended up winning the division, make the playoffs. They had that, got a crazy wild card series. And they made some noise against the Yankees in the DS. So do they have the stuff to... A, repeat, and B, try to make some noise again in the playoffs. I think they're still a really feisty team, and I think the fact that this division is so underwhelming and Minnesota is such a enigma really does play into their favor. I mean, they still have probably the best one-two pitching punch with Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. I think McKenzie's really good. I think he could be like AL Cy Young good this year um, if all goes well. I mean, last year he was ridiculous in terms of having like one of the lowest whips in baseball for most of the year. I think he was down at like, what was his whip? Let me see. 0.951, 951 and almost 200 innings, which is crazy. A high ERA still. He gives up a lot of, uh, uh, well, a three ERA. He gives up his FIP and his advanced stats are always really high because he's a fly ball pitcher. And that's why his whip is so low though. He gives up such soft fly balls. Um, but those two alone, I mean, you get those two in a playoff series, you're good. And then I think, from the bullpen, they have the best closer in the league too, in Emmanuel Class A, and they probably have one of the best setup guys in James Karinchak, who's like a strikeout machine out of the bullpen. So, like pitching wise, they have all that you know really good stuff that you want, kind of foundationally. But offensively, I just think it's kind of a weird team, and and, and it all really kind of revolves around whether or not Jose Ramirez plays like a MVP candidate. Yeah, I mean, I want to call in the ageless wonder but I feel like he's not as old as I think he is. I'm looking this up now. I know he's definitely over 30, but I almost... 29. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, 29. So, yeah. So, yeah. I Eight years, though. He's been around for eight years. He's been around for like a long time, though. Yeah, yes. That's the point. Um, but yeah, the guy still is putting up... You know, he almost... He had 29 home runs, 126 ribbies last year. I mean, he was that main cog of the offense. And, and to your point, yep. just another year, another year in the league see what he can do. And this was a team like 
a lot of what they got going last year was getting guys on base, whether it was Quan, whether it was Miles Straw, um, Ahmed Rosario, like seeing how like they were able to do that and watching them come into this year. I think their pitching once again is going to be really good. Like you said, a great one, two punch and we'll see where the, the rest of that uh, pit, the rotation goes. Cause it can either be, you know, good or it could be really bad. Cause you know, yeah. Kale or call Quantrill, you know, kind of shaky. We've had some years where Savali and Plas and uh, Plesac have been really good, and some where they've been, you know, start to really start. Bad. It's been yeah, been pretty bad. So we'll see where where they can go. I mean, it's just a it's another year of of seeing can they play that small ball but big ball type. You know what I mean? Like they have the yeah, bats no, to do sure. it, but like they have guys that will get on base and you know, make some havoc around the base path. So seeing another new rule change, if the bigger bases, like, will they try to like make noise in the bases and try to make teams screw up that way, especially if they're only playing low scoring games because they can you know lean in on some of that good pitching. It's going to be really interesting to see how they approach some of these games. Yeah, I agree. And I think they do have one of, I mean, if you were to like look at, cause I was just looking at baseball features this morning and, um, there's a couple guys to lead the league in stolen bases, but Miles Straw plays for the uh, Guardians, and he was like a you know trendy stolen base, like fantasy baseball guy a few years ago, and he kind of yeah. was forgotten after that. And he doesn't do anything but but run really fast. Um, but he's a guy in the outfield that they have. I mean, they just have a lot of speed in general. Like Stephen Kwan's a quick guy. He doesn't hit any home runs, but he's a little guy who can move. Yeah, Ahmed Rosario can move. And then Andres Jimenez is another guy who was really good last year, and he can – speed too so they've got all these guys it's just like my 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 concern or my thought is because i think again they're going to be really good like they could be like world series dark horse good i think they've got enough to make a move that would push them to that that tier i think um but the main thing is like who else is the like scary big bat for them because it's like josh naylor was good sometimes last year yeah uh oscar gonzalez had a nice run but he's unproven he's more and they signed... the playoffs because the spongebob yeah. square pants yeah and they signed josh bell who like has been amazing at times but also i couldn't tell you who josh bell played for last year because he was not special so yeah all these different things i know they do one guy that is kind of interesting is i do know that one of their top prospects is josh naylor's brother Bo, oh and he's a pretty pretty big power hitting uh catcher prospect so he could be interesting just you know if mike zunino doesn't plan doesn't pan out which you know mike zunino has had some disaster seasons before so yeah, yeah. um yeah uh, i'm just making up his career batting average but it feels like a career 200 maybe 195 guy and every once in a while 200 he, 200 on a good year 200 on a good year and I don't know what. What do you think he topped out at home runs? Probably fifteen one year. One year, I feel like no, he, he did mash a bunch. He had thirty three last year. You're right. Yeah. Um, okay. Thirty three yeah, last year for thing. the Rays. He was good with the Rays, or two years ago. I'm sorry, twenty twenty one. Yeah, and then he did his rookie year. He hit two fifty one, which from there it was like two hundred one, one sixty five, one forty seven. Last year he hit one forty eight. Like it's just ridiculous how like little contact this guy makes, but when he does, it's like a bomb. Yeah. Every time, it goes a mile. And uh, one guy that I hope, if you're a Guardians fan, I hope you never have to see. They signed Elian De Los Santos, a former Phillies. What's the opposite of calling somebody a former Phillies great? Um, former Phillies. Goat? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, that guy. <laughs> if he comes in, just 
hope that it's already a blowout and that you're just writing the day off. Um, but yeah, I mean, their lineup, like you mentioned, whoa, knock the microphone. Sorry, listener. Uh, but their lineup, yeah, it's, it should be, it should be interesting to see how they go. I mean, they yeah. have the ability, like they have a bunch, you know, they have Ramirez. Josh Bell is a switch hitter, but I feel like does better. Like the Padres, when they used him in the playoffs, they only used him, I feel like on right-handed pitching. So he must be naturally left. He was like a, he basically was a platoon player at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he was just the throwaway piece in the one, in the Juan Soto deal. And like, so like if he's your everyday DH, how is he going to look there? Yeah. I don't know, but they, they do have the ability to like move their, they have the mobility, I should say to move their lineup to see how they can go against either handedness. So like you mentioned this division, it being in such an interesting spot, I don't know. It, it'll be fun to see how this team does. But moving on, the Detroit Tigers, who, as the bot told us, are in a rebuilding mode, but might contend. So maybe that no, is maybe I that's can, our future. I can, no, I can say that that's wrong. No. <laughs> I, read, I read that. I was already laughing at the Correa, at saying the White Sox have been in rebuilding mode for the last couple of years at Jose Barrios still being on the twins. And then when I read the Royals and the Tigers were contending for the division, it was, uh, <laughs> I almost wanted to file a complaint with Google of just saying, Hey, uh, you're very much in beta mode. I get that, but let's fix this. Cause the Tigers, this is reckless. Yeah, <laughs> it's reckless. The Tigers, uh, as mentioned by the bot lost 98 games last year. Um, do we think it's, it goes up from there even slightly or around the same for Detroit? Well, I can just tell you my thoughts because now that I'm I'm living in Detroit now, so like I hear about the Tigers all the time and stuff, and saw way too much of them last year. Yeah. Um, in that terrible season, so I can just tell you that my my thoughts on them this year were that I I, I did bet on them to finish with the worst record in baseball this morning. So like I, I definitely oh. am not high on this, and that's mostly because a the team was bad last year and they added nothing this year, um, and b uh they got a new GM. Finally, they fired Al Avila, who was just kind of like this nepotism, like good, good old boy who like was good to the organization. So they just let him keep doing it. And he must have had the longest continuous rebuild in history. Like they have made the playoffs since God knows when. And he just kept getting chance after chance after chance. And it did not work. So uh, they fired him. Finally, they hired Scott Harris from the Giants. And uh, basically, he has made it sound like they are still rebuilding this rebuild instead of trying to like accelerate whatever shit sandwich was left over, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough one. I think overall. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause they, you know, they had Greg Soto, Gregory Soto, and he was their only all-star traded him to yep. the Phillies, acquired the car shield, Matt Vierling, um, who really, you saw the best of him in the playoffs of a guy who he started against left-handed pitchers because Brandon Marsh couldn't hit him. And he just kind of, he would be that, you know, once every six days outfielder to give Kyle Schwarber a break or give someone else a break. And now he's your everyday left fielder. He did have a really nice uh, outfield assist double up to end a game against the Mets on Apple TV, which I guess because of Apple TV, I had to use satellite radio to listen to it on a car trip when not even when I hadn't even left the Philadelphia area. But uh, that's just an aside there. But um, yeah, this, this team, it's... Not great. I mean, they still have Javi Baez. They still 
you know, he could maybe, you know, have a hobby, you know, a, a decent hobby bias type of season. But... I would, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. He's done this. He's done. He's, he's played possum so many times in his career that if he were to have a two forty, you know, 30 Homer or 80 RBI season with like 15 steals, like I would not be surprised by that. Like, do I think it's like what I bet on it? No, I'm not. It's not that likely, yeah. but like he has done this yo-yo. He's kind of like, like Javi Baez is basically the baseball equivalent of when you do like a crash diet yeah. and you're like, hell yeah, look how thin I am. I look great. And then it's like two weeks later, you go back to the same shit that you were doing before. And it's like, oh man, look how fat I am. Again. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. that's Every year is that for him. Like this year he's on the diet. Next year he's back off the diet. Oh, I forgot they got Nick, Nick Maton in that trade too. He, uh, Yahoo doesn't have him as a projected. Oh no, he do, they do have him as a projected starting third baseman. Um, Fangraphs does not have Matt Vierling as the projected starting left fielder, but they do have Maton, Maton, as I always love to call him. A guy who, again, a guy that would come in because guys were hurt and then Maton would get hurt. So I don't know. You're like, you're really, you are really leaning into the shit sandwich rebuild. And I hate to be mean to Detroit teams, but yeah, it's just not going to be a fun year for the Tigers. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the pitching. The pitching is well. Just, there's, not, there's there's nothing to mention yeah, because exactly. they're all hurt. It's nothing. They're, right they're all about. injured. They're there's, all I mean, hurt. Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back after a bizarre season. Matthew Boyd is still there after like leaving and whatnot. Matt Manning was okay last year. He's one of these like young guys that they have a lot of faith in. Uh, Spencer Turnbull's one interesting. He's still playing. Spencer Turnbull is the interesting name. He's coming back off Tommy John, uh, but but two seasons ago, and he's been look. He's looked really good in spring training, except for one bad inning, I believe. But um. Two years ago, he did throw a no hitter. That's true. Uh, so he's a guy that I think I could see Spencer Turnbull having a really nice like he's 29, so like he doesn't fit the the time frame, but I could see him having like a really productive first half and then being one of those trade targets to yeah. to trade out the deadline. But yeah, yeah, all the other all the other guys, Scooble and uh, um, Casey Mize, those guys all hurt. Yep, and it's I don't know. It's just it's crazy to think this is a team that we've. You know, been waiting for that next step, and we've talked about the exciting prospects that were coming through the system and all of this. And unlike the team we're moving to, I'm doing the alphabet quick. The team we're moving to next, yes, yeah, J K M uh, L M. Yeah, the team we're moving to next that actually has the prospects that have been awesome since they've all gotten yeah. called up. Um, yeah, this team just nothing has come to fruition for the Tigers. I hate again. I hate being no. mean to Detroit teams because I do it. We were doing it before this past season with the Lions, and then everybody, including myself, were rooting for the Lions. And yep. you know, the, now the Red Wings are in, are in a precarious spot. The Pistons, bad. I, I don't know if you wouldn't go precarious, but uh, yeah, bad. Um, but young, you know, exciting there. But it's just it, the tie, It's just frustrating because like a a decade ago they were in the World Series with an mm-hmm. insane pitching rotation. And then it's just, it's nuts to think of where they are now. Yeah. Everything's kind of, and the only thing that's left in that is Miguel Cabrera, who's playing his final season, which like is sentimental and cool and whatnot. And like, I will say the most fun I've had going to baseball games in a long time was probably two summers ago when he was chasing, you know, 500 homers and 3000 hits like every at bat, like yeah. every game that stadium was full and every at bat people were like kind of buzzing. And it was like, it was really exciting for a team that was, you know, 11 games out of first place. But 
after he got all those hits and stuff, like, what's the point, man? Like, like they should honestly just let him go out there and play for a month and then tell him to go home at this point. Like, I, I don't see the any, I don't see anything productive about letting him play this year. Yeah, it's the Jake Taylor in Major from, League Two. Just, yeah. hey, do you want, you want to hang out on the bench and be the manager? Like be a, be a I don't even do. I don't even need him to let him go. Let him go to Miami or wherever he lives and leave. I don't think he needs to even be around. I don't think like, like he's never been a leader per se. He's just an old guy who plays. So yeah. like, I don't know. It's one of those things where like more time for Spencer Torkelson will be good, and more time for, uh, you know, the other young guys is positive. But I think you know the one thing about this team that is interesting this year is they they moved the fences in this year a little bit to try oh, really? and kind of. Target, yeah, to get the offense going, which is funny because that was a complaint that Nick Castellanos' agent used to have when he played. <laughs> really? Was that the stadium was just the absolute worst thing for his swing because the power alleys were tough to get to, and so now their current like best player is Riley Green, the outfielder, the rookie last year, and he wasn't great last year. He was solid, um, but the thought process now is that that all these walls got moved in in specific strategic spots, and people think that that was kind of the Riley green move to try and set things up better for him because why not make things easier for your 21 year old who could, you know, potentially blossom into a very good player. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting take. And that's a interesting thought. I remember when, uh, when city field did that, it was, they only did it for, they only had the, the bigger outfield for one year. And now it's like some like walking around area, but maybe that's maybe even the one it's the part of it in center field is where their giant ass scoreboard is. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. But let's move on. We mentioned it. K comes before M. We're going to the Royals. So we mentioned it before. The Royals, Bobby Witt Jr., immediate electricity last year, a bunch of other young guys. Royals, once again, just looking at their depth chart, they, have, they obviously made some acquisitions in the in the offseason, notably Rebecca Zach Greinke, but a team that, once again, just very homegrown, it's incre- incredibly impressive that they've been able to do that again. Yeah, it's kind of their 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 way to do it. And I mean, obviously, they're not in a desirable lo- like location where they're going to attract a bunch of free agents. But I think you look at their roster, and you're you're right. It is a lot of like homegrown talent. They've got like you know Vinny Pasquantino is the other guy. Obviously, Bobby Witt is the real gem of the thing. Um, I think it's just for them. Like, it's just a matter of, of like, who's next? Because we've seen them have, like, hot prospects before. Like, everyone remembers Adalberto, Adalberto Mondesi, who is now with the Red Sox. Yep. And, like, all of the potential he had and how it never really turned into anything. Um, so now it's kind of like you look at the other side of the of the team and it's like, who are the pitchers? Like, like do they have those kind of guys that are, that are able to, like, really break out because the thing with the Royals when they were good was it was pitching and defense, pitching yeah. and defense. Now I'm like, I look at their rotation and it's like their best pitcher is probably Brady Singer. Who's like a good player. But like, if that's really the best one you've got, then that seems problematic. Yeah. It's, that's a really good point. Cause it is just kind of a, a who's who of different guys, right? Like names that we've, that we've heard of like Scott Barlow, you know, a guy that you might be using in fantasy, but then like names that you've heard out there, like Amir Garrett's a reliever they have now. Roldis Chapman was a guy they signed. Like, yep. It's just like it's interesting to see like different names pop up and like, but is it really going to be enough for them to to you 
know, live up to the the AI bots expectations? And the answer is probably no. But at least like <laughs> on the other side of the of the coin, like we were just talking about, at least their their lineup is young and exciting enough to like if they're on a nationally televised game playing you know, the team of the division or playing, you know, a bigger named team that's, you know, a little bit higher up in the standings. Like if they're on Fox in the middle of the summer playing the Astros, I'll probably tune into it and like, you know, obviously, you know, be excited to see, you know, you know, the game and watch some baseball in the middle of the summer, but be excited to see Bobby Witt play, like watch one of his at bats, like, you know, maybe do some work around the house, but if Bobby Witt's batting, sit down and like, take a look at it. It's fun to see these guys play. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's just one of those situations also where like, you know, the Royals for, from our perspective as being, you know, 30 something year old people is like, you think back outside of that run they had, which really was kind of one of those star shine, bright star goes away type oh, of situations. Yeah. Cause they were really only good for three years. I think. Yeah. Like outstanding for three years. So it's like, you know, before that they were trash after that they were trash. I honestly don't remember a time in my life outside of that run they had where they weren't bad. No. They've always just been so underwhelming. And it's like almost like bad in a way that like people don't notice, which I feel like personally is the worst kind of being bad is when you're so bad that nobody even knows that you exist or yeah. don't doesn't think about you as existing, you know? I remember as a kid, like playing like King Griffey Jr. baseball and being like, oh yeah, this Royals team sucks. My dad tell me they won the World Series. How, you know, Within like it was probably at that point it was within the last fifteen years because it was the late nineties, and I'm like you're fuck you're kidding me right like this team that's losing a hundred games like they they won a World Series then and then the same thing happened when they were good that 2014 team when they were making that run to make it into the playoffs like I remember the ESPN commercials like they made it to Sunday Night Baseball once and it was like the whole thing was and it's kind of ironic because of like people complaining about nostalgia baited movies. That's literally what the commercial was. It was like, Oh, feels like 86, like all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of crazy. Like, and obviously like they go back the next year and win the world series. They beat the Mets and everything. And like, I remember that season two of like people on ESPN were like, this team is pissed off. Cause no one thinks they're any good. And they, they have a chip on their shoulder. And then, like you said, they went away as fast as they came. And it's, kind of crazy of like we talk about it in other sports of like oh the you know the parody and teams coming here and there and even within other aspects of baseball of teams that you know have their moments where they have a few a few years of a run where they're pretty good and they you know they bottom out and then they come back and all that kind of stuff the Royals have just been bottoming out forever like everybody loves to shit on the Browns and the quarterback shirt and all that but the Royals are right around there aside from winning a championship and I would say, like you said, I mean, yeah, it's 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 1985, and then they made the That's playoffs is, again yeah, yeah. in 2014. So it was 29 years, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and obviously, one lost the World Series that year in, in seven games. They really should have had back to back, if not for Madison Bumgarner just being a superhero. But the crazy thing is, um, oh yeah, 86 you know, they won, was, was Bill Buckner. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You know, they won 74 games last year, though. So they are not like not trash can. Yeah. They're not bad. No, and I think. That that's one of the things that like still it's, it's an amazing thing that they won that many games with a pitching staff where I know win loss records don't matter that much, but like outside of Brady Singer going 10 and five last year, you had Brad Keller, six and 14, Zach Grinke, four and nine, Daniel Lynch, four and 13, Chris Bubich, three and 13. And someone named Jonathan Heasley, four and 10, like just everybody taking L's taking L's, but 
I mean, if I told you that this year, like Sal Perez, you know, rebounded and hit 35 homers and Bobby Witt hit like his 90th percentile outcome and was like an all-star starting shortstop level guy and Pasquantino was like baby John, baby Joey Votto, like they could be real. They would, that would be an interesting team in a very bad division. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very clear of where they sit in terms of the projection for it, but depending on how the next team does and really like how the White Sox do, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to see where, where they might be able to, to line up. Cause I think we're expecting consistency out of Cleveland and then kind of variables out of the White Sox and the twins. So the Royals kind of put something together. They have a couple good months. If they have like a, the Tigers a couple years ago to give them a compliment, they had a really good second half when they were, you know, all those young guys were healthy. Like yeah. if they have something like that, like it wouldn't be surprising to maybe see them come in third, albeit winning, you know, somewhere in the seventies and wins again. But you know, who knows? Like this could be a team that on at best wins a low, maybe around 80 games. Um, I really don't mm-hmm. want to say like, Oh, 500 is, you know, a, that's their ceiling. That's probably yeah, their ceiling. Their would ceiling. be pushing for yeah. 500. Yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they if they if things were to go bad for the White Sox in terms of like Eloy getting hurt and and you know whomever else just underperforming whatever they're expected to. I would not be surprised if it was like the White Sox and the Royals who were like battling for third place in a legitimate way and not just a you know oh they were within five games but like legit both of them being in that like high seventies range for wins. I'm trying to see what I'm looking at their schedule now of um. Let's see, March. I can't. Oh no, we can do the list, so I can quickly jump to September. If we have any good, uh... oh geez, this is way too long. Uh, <laughs> we could look we... deciphering the MLB schedule. Yeah, um, uh, we get them playing. We don't have them playing the White Sox. They have kind of a weird end of their schedule. They play the White Sox in the middle of September. They play the Astros both times, both home and away, in the last week. They also play the Yankees. Could be a could be a rough end of the season for the Royals. <laughs> Yes. Then you get to play Detroit. That's fun. That that should be at least two wins there, but uh, you know, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, like we were saying, this this is a team that's just exciting. If you see, like, you might be able to see, like, if they're hanging around there, like, maybe they get, like, Sunday Night Baseball on July 30th, just because I happen to scroll up to it, against the Twins. Like, they're both kind of hanging around, two exciting teams. I don't know what other games are there because I don't have the full MLB schedule in front of me, but, like, ESPN wants to throw them a bone and, you know, have that game on and, and just show other teams out there, you know, maybe the Saturday game just to have a similar, similar type of situation. Like I wouldn't be opposed to that to just like, you know, see what the twins are throwing at us. We're going to talk about them in a second, but also if the Royal, you know, the young, exciting players that the Royals have, I'll, I'll sit down and watch some of those guys, you know, get some ABs outside of, you know, probably Bobby Witt Jr. Playing in the all-star game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, the one thing that I'm interested to do with them is, you know, I, I'm a big Vinny Pasquantino guy. I think yeah. he's really good and he's like old school kind of, you know, not a giant power guy, but kind of like Joey Votto style hitter and he's slow and he's huge, but he's just like a very good hitter, just professional, you know, that term of professional yeah, hitter, that's hitter. kind of him. And so I'm just curious what he can do in a full season because his minor league stats, let me look him up real quick because they are, worth talking about he's just a very like his you know strikeout to walk ratio things like that like i was about to say he does not strike out 
that much for no. the Joey Votto type of comparison. No, yeah. So in the minors uh, last year at the Omaha, he hit two seventy seven with a three seventy on base, a five sixty one slugging, uh, thirty nine strikeouts and forty walks. Last year it was thirty four Ks, thirty five walks in the big league. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he definitely has a very unique skill set that like kind of is a throwback. Yeah, I mean, even just looking at like the straight up power numbers, ten homers, ten doubles in only seventy two games, like that's still pretty pretty good. I mean, the slugging percentage. I don't know if it doesn't lead the team because Sal Perez played more of the season and also had a higher slugging percentage, but still, like, it's higher than some of the guys on that team. Like, Ben Attendi had a kind of a weird year before he got traded and, and you know, was able to leverage a 320 batting average to be a trade trade tip, but trade chip. But, like, I don't know, like you said, like the professional hitter, you're batting close to 300, albeit in about half of the season, a cl- you know, upper 300s OB uh, on base percentage and a mid 400 slugging percentage in your rookie year. I don't know. I'll take that. It's, it's a really good take. Yeah. Just, that's just one guy to keep an eye on. Cause I think he'll, I think he'll really have, a, have like a, a very good year that kind of goes under the radar because of how bad the team is. But also his nickname is the Italian breakfast, which is just a great, that's fantastic. Uh, great nickname. Yeah. He played for team Italy in the world baseball classic. So just an awesome nickname also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, team Italy in the world baseball classic, just, Incredible. The Nespresso machine alone just was the, <laughs> the perfect the perfect aspect to it. Um, I mean, we, we've we circled around it a couple times. I'm assuming, for as big of a baseball fan as you are, you're, you're all in on the World Baseball Classic, right? I watched a lot of it towards the end, and I thought the finale, like the final game, and obviously the final at-bat was like very intense and a lot of fun. And like... I think my thing with watching baseball in person is I'll go to a game any day. Yep. Um, and I think watching it on TV though, like the difference between a like at the atmosphere of a game in the middle of like May versus a game with some stakes, it's probably the most you know drastic difference in any sport between like low stakes game and high stakes game. Like you really can feel the like drama of the crowd and the energy when there's like a buzz like there was the other night. Yeah. The final game to your point, like you had the, the Japanese band that was playing throughout it and everything. And on the immediate opposite side of the coin, i stayed up to watch the first game between Cuba and the Netherlands. And that game was in Taiwan because it didn't feature Taiwan. There was barely anybody there. And it really felt like, like you said, a mid May game for a team that's underperforming or is not playing very well. And there's a bunch of names there. It was fun to see a guy like Joanna Cespedes was on the Cuban team. Like it was fun to like see yeah. some of those guys like play, but it was like, I knew after watching that, like, all right, like Japan plays at 6 a.m. I'm not waking up at 6 a.m. to see team Japan. I'll see them when they come to the semifinals and I watched them play Mexico. And that was an incredible game as well. Yeah. And obviously I watched the finale, but like, it really was that of some of these games were like, it was really cool to see the highlights of the games in Japan and all that. But I also wasn't waking up at six to watch, no. to watch those games. So it's, what was, what was crazy about these games too, is like, you look at the rosters and there's like, I remember the first world baseball classic, like there'd be teams that like, you'd look at their roster and be like, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. And I remember like, like weirdly from that first one, like Netherlands had a lot of guys in MLB and I was like, Oh, 
interesting and then you look at this one and it's just like every team has at least three big leaguers yep. and like randy rosarena starring for mexico even though he technically isn't even like like he wasn't like he had to ask them to be added to the team like before the tournament like it yeah. was like a a thing so like it's just funny how like much different is when you've got like you know one star that people know on each of these teams yeah and i mean i think that's the through line through the last two of like the fact that Team Israel has made it and you've had a bunch of Jewish MLB players that are playing yeah. on that. Like, Italy's been around in a bunch of them. Like, uh, Sal Fasano played in in the first World Baseball Classic on Team Italy. So, like, you've had that aspect. But it's been it's been fun, to your point, of seeing guys like Trace Thompson playing for fucking the UK because his, yep. you know, his grandparents are British. Like, all that kind of stuff. Like, some people were shitting on that. And I thought, to your point, I thought that was pretty cool, like, because you actually have like games that you can't take lightly, like watching watching the U.S. play the U.K. in the first game, it was something where like, hey, you know what? Like, I should stay like should watch this to see to make sure the U.S. team wins because it could have yeah. easily turned any which way. And you saw that with their final game or their final group play game against Colombia, where you're thinking not a ton of guys on this team. They should run through them, and it was still a struggle. So it was it was fun, and it was fun you know to see. Different players from the Phillies play on different teams to get get to root for. Obviously, rooting for the end. The end was incredible, and you know, I don't. Th- if you don't like that, then it's just not for you. You know, don't tune in in 2026. The only <laughs> thing, kind of to the same point of, I wasn't going to wake up at 6 a.m. to watch Japan at home, is maybe pick a site. <laughs> maybe pick like. Use yeah, like why a, are they playing? So why do they play them everywhere, and then they bring them all the like, to Miami? Like, why yeah. not just settle on one place and just do it like the Olympics would, or anything else? You know, exactly. Yeah, like pick a like pick a major league stadium that has a dome. Like the Astros aren't home. Maybe go to to Minute Maid. Like go play there, and like use some of the other ballparks around there. I I don't know. Like maybe use that in Arlington. I don't know. There there's some way to to like have it so that we're watching some of these other teams. Because, like, some of the storylines, like, the Czech Republic guys that are, like, electricians and teachers that are, like, all, like, lining up outside the Japanese dugout. Like, that's a cool story. And I wish I could have actually watched those at-bats live where, like, you have the guys making, like, TikToks and, and uh, Instagram videos. Of, like, this is what it's like to face Shohei Otani. Like, would have liked to see that live, even though probably yeah. isn't that entertaining. But it's still, like, the spectacle of it. I, I don't know. For sure. I agree. I think also I'm at the right age of, like, I was seven when the first NHL players went to the Olympics. Like that's like the 98 world cups that year. So like, I'm like right in that perfect age to love all things international, like best on best type of stuff. So maybe I'm biased that way, but yeah. Anyway, the Minnesota twins, we've danced around them long enough. A team <laughs> that had quite the off season. They lost Carlos Correa, not once, but twice. And then they got him back. That's uh. That's probably the big story, or is there is the Pablo Lopez trade a bigger story than that? I think that the no the, the situation with Correa is obviously the main <laughs> one. Um, it's crazy that he went to two teams. There was you know I think when he signed with the Giants, I put a bet in the Giants immediately to win the World Series, and then yeah. I think I was able to cash it out by the time his physical was flunked a few days later. Um, so it's yeah, it, it was a crazy obviously stretch for them. Um, and like the crazy part about that team is like, we've talked about all their, like, I don't want to call them skittish, but they're like, 
aggressive like they're they're aggressive but they aren't aggressive enough to go for the big move they just go for the move a move and i just look at their roster and i'm like well this is definitely the best team in the division like their their roster is better than the indians from top to bottom like just looking at it overall but like i still don't trust them at all and like i i I definitely even the thing about the twins is like and this is just their history is that even if they were to win the division i you'd have they would give you they give you zero reason to trust them in the playoffs because they have been because they are just such a consistent flop specifically a consistent flop that gets swept by the gets swept (laughs) by the yankees every time yep i was gonna make that point of if you want to like root for this team and be like, oh, well, the Correa situation, blah, blah, blah. It's exactly that. They get swept by the Yankees or by whomever they play. They haven't won. They still haven't won a game since 2004. Is that the yeah. year? They, they And they didn't win a series then. They just won a game. And this team, like, you're right. Like, there's guys on that team. Like, they got Drew Urshela because of the trade for Josh Donaldson last year. He had a decent season. But then there's, like, the guys that we keep waiting and that's why, like, I had kind of the trepidation of, like, pointing out, like, injury stuff with, with the White Sox because it's a lot easier to point the finger and be like, what the hell with the Twins, specifically at Byron Buxton. But, like, there's other guys in that lineup, too, that, like, miss games here and there, like Jorge Polanco or Max Kepler. Like, guys that, like, you're waiting to, like, take that next step. And every year, like, clockwork, they miss all of these games and you mm-hmm. just can't try like skittish is the perfect way to put this lineup. Yeah, I mean they're just a bunch of guys like Buxton. If he stays healthy, he could win the MVP. But like, would you ever home expect runs that? in ninety-two games? That's yeah, insane. I would never. Ex- but I would never expect that. I mean, Alex Kirilov, like top prospect who just has just the most damaged wrist in history. <laughs> Royce Lewis, Royce Lewis, a top prospect, tears his ACL literally every year. Um you know, just going down the list, I mean, Correa has these health issues that haven't risen up yet, but like, you know, still are bad. And then last year they had a pitcher, Bailey Ober, who's just a behemoth, like six foot nine, 260, like yeah. huge dude who had a pretty good season two years ago. And Ober barely played last year because of injuries. And like, you can just go up and down the list and it's just like, there's a bunch of names that are on paper good. Like the team is, it's a, this is a great on paper team. And, like, even the guys that did play most of the season last year have histories of getting hurt. Chris Archer, Sonny Gray, like, Kenda Maeda, again, the AI bot saying he's the anchor. He missed the entire year because of Tommy John surgery. He hasn't pitched a meaningful game in what will be a year and a half by the time he plays a game this year. Like, it's just insane to think that this team, like, and you don't want to root for injuries or anything, but, like, at a certain point you have to be realistic that everything is going to line up for this team to think they're going to run away with the division. It's, it's hard to think that of, especially when you have like the consistency in Cleveland, you have potential in Chicago that this team like is going to be able to do it, especially where like some of the guys in their rotation, like had decent seasons last year, but also just weren't getting it done because the lineup wasn't giving them the run support or whatever the, whatever it happened to be like, you know, like Sonny Gray pitched pitched in 24 games, but he still lost five of them. And he had the best ERA of all the starters because, you know, he just wasn't getting run support. And his, you know, opponent's batting average, he's like letting guys get on base and then just not taking care of them. Yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, 
even looking at what they had in their staff last year, like Joe Ryan was really good last year, but like he's just kind of a guy. Dylan Bundy was there. He's gone now. Yep. Like you said, Sonny Gray, you can't rely on Sonny Gray. And I think the main thing really is for them, like obviously if their offense stays healthy, you know, if if Buxton stayed healthy, they would probably be pretty damn good. I have confidence in that. Yeah. But I think the main thing is like Pablo Lopez is a guy who you mentioned before that they signed um, or traded for actually yep. from the Marlins. And two years ago, or parts of last year, but mostly two years ago, like the last two years, he's had really impressive stretches where he's been like kind of like what people – what we saw from Sandy Alcantara there yep. in Miami, we kind of thought maybe that was Pablo was Lopez first. Yeah. yeah. And and then last year he kind of, uh, you know, finally stayed healthy, but we saw what a fully healthy season from him was, which was like a three, seven, five ERA, not like a 3.00 ERA. So like yep. there's still holes in his armor. And obviously I think going from NL to AL, I don't know if it's quite as drastic of a change for pitchers now as it was then, because there's no, you know, DH is, yeah uh exists in both but like it still takes a while to get used to that moving from one uh you know side to the other so that's another interesting thing to focus on with your big acquisition no it it absolutely is and i don't know if he's maybe by default he's your opening day starter but like that's a really good point of we saw the full season out of him last year and maybe some of that is that he was thrown around like in the trade deadline talks like i think the yankees like I, at least from seeing from my Yankee friends either on Twitter talking to them that they wanted to try to acquire him. Like maybe that's part of it. Cause the second half is a little more shaky, but the Marlins were also more shaky in the second half last year. Cause Chisholm got yeah. hurt. So like, it's tough to let, it's tough to like really assign, like assign blame somewhere in that, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. Like, and I think you're right. Like it's not as drastic of a change now, but it's still like, you have a lot of different offensive styles being thrown at him, whether it's, you know, young upstart team like the Royals that, that gets on base but can also hit some power, especially like if Salvador Perez is having a day or the Guardians like we were talking about or, what, or you know, if the White Sox, everything's clicking. So like it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does. Like we both said, you can't rely on Sonny Gray. I mean, and then the back half, Tyler Mayle, I I would not trust at all. And then Kenta Maeda, he hasn't pitched in a year and a half. I don't know what to expect out of him. He was a guy that had a couple really good years. He, what, he finished the runner-up as a Cy Young in the shortened season? But that was a shortened season. So, like, what are we really expecting here? And the Dodgers were like wizards in terms of managing pitchers like that, too. So it's an interesting situation for him to go from. You know, one person they got this offseason who is, like, the most depreciated of assets is Joey Gallo. Um, Yes. You know, he was so good, like, even just two years ago when he hit, like, 40 home runs and stuff. And, like, he's always going to hit, like, close. He's kind of, like, going to hit, like, Zunino in terms of hitting, like, 200. But, like, he's kind of a modern-day Adam Dunner was. But then he really, really, really struggled last year. So, like, this year I wonder – I read an article today on The Athletic about the shift and, like, um, how teams are trying to, like, deploy – different types of shifts this year. Um, and, and some of that is like Joey Gallo has faced it where they take uh, the, the right field. The Red Sox left. did this, right? Yep. A couple times yeah. too. Yeah. They'll take the left fielder and center fielder and they move them over. And so like the entire left side of the, you know, outfield's open. 
So he's still going to face those kind of shift things, I think. But I still could see a scenario where where Joey Gallo returns to being like a 30 homer guy and is like a feared power hitter, if not flawed overall hitter. Fangraphs has him at a 24 homers, but a 195 batting average. Sounds right. I could see yeah. that too. Yeah. So uh, that'll be interesting. Interestingly enough, because it shows on the depth chart, uh, the the original signing info, he was a 12th. 2012 first round pick pick 39th i didn't realize there was that many compensatory picks in the mlb draft i think yeah i think it varies year by year so it's yeah. one of those situations where like sometimes there's a ton and sometimes there's not i wonder so like I, that's the funny thing is like other sports like i was a first round pick which means like oh you're one of the 32 best players yeah. blah, blah blah baseball it's like you brag about being a first round pick like yeah i'm one of the 57 or 40 yeah, exactly. or you know whatever best player so yeah, very just very that stuck out to me. I was like, oh, 39th pick, like second rounder. No, first. Um but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like you said, like the NFL, the compensatory picks are like fourth rounders. Very mm-hmm. weird that baseball does that. But uh yeah, I mean this is a team and we're both obviously negative on this team, but it's just it's kind of like what a couple years ago we said this about the Padres in the NL West preview of I'll believe it when I see it, and they finally put it together and made it all the way to the NLCS last year. So like, maybe this is the year that we actually do see it. But until that, I'm not believing it for a second of seeing what this team does. I think that's fine. I think they've put themselves in a position where they have to prove it, which is, which is not like, you know, it, that's what creates those situations where guys are like, Oh, I have a chip on my shoulder, which like, fine, that's okay. Um, Whatever gets you motivated. But like in the end, if they, stay healthy which i say that but i'm already looking like jorge polanco's already hurt so yeah. like not a great start but you know they stay healthy they get their shit together they could they could easily win this division by five games like i think if they play that well i just keep going back and like i look at them in cleveland them in cleveland and like who's got the best hitter cleveland who's got the best pitcher cleveland who's got the best bullpen cleveland and it's like all those other little depth pieces you know sometimes i wonder like is a deep lineup really better than one that's got three or four really good hitters and then a bunch of other guys who just do stuff like i don't know what the answer to that is but i think this is a scenario where like having the best hitter pitcher and you know reliever slash bullpen is a big step up for cleveland but i still could see a situation where if jose ramirez is just good and not great that minnesota takes advantage yeah interestingly enough Fangraphs has it on their projections which of you know, obviously projections are pretty much bullshit, but interestingly, they have them within a game of each other. They have Cleveland winning 83, 84 and the Twins winning 83. They have Cleveland scoring just less runs, 4.34 for Cleveland, 4.35 for Minnesota. But a, a noticeable difference in terms of, of uh, runs against Cleveland at 4.5. One eight noticeable is I'm using that loosely here, but still a lower number there. So like mm-hmm. they're using run differential to Cleveland's favor, but I I feel like that should be bigger because like you said, a better bullpen and just a team that maybe the the up and down the lineup and the Twins if healthy can make that difference. But it really it does come down to kind of circling back to what we we're talking about with the White Sox how do you navigate now having to play all 30 teams instead of just playing your own division 
and seeing how that that all can work. So it's, I don't know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this Twins team does because, yeah, you get to play the 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 Indi- uh, Guardians and the White Sox less. You also have to play the Tigers less. So like, will yeah. now having to face, you know, the Braves, the Mets to a certain degree, the Phillies, the Dodgers to a certain, the Padres to a certain degree, the Giants to a certain degree, the Cardinals, the Brewers, like. You have to face all of those teams now and not just get lucky that you didn't have to face six of them. You know, that's going to add up at some point because there are humongous names on all of those ro- rosters that I just named. Yeah, no, it's it's you you are not as, you know, I know people who are fans of teams in the AL East always, you know, bitch and moan about how like, well, you play an easier schedule than we do, which was true. And now it's not the case. The field does the level, the playing field has kind of been, you know, leveled a bit. Yeah. And it makes sense with the expanded playoffs and everything. We're like, you know, the Phillies had a, had a very beneficial schedule of getting to play the nationals, not only just being in their division, but a ton in the second half of the season after the Juan Soto trade, which certainly mm-hmm. helped them there. And, you know, now they don't, now they don't have that crutch to lean on. Although, the, the pushback I always that I said during the playoffs was they had winning records against most playoff teams. The only ones that didn't, they didn't. They either beat the Braves or they didn't have to play because they didn't get any hits in the, in the wild card series. Now about the Mets, <laughs> but anyway, uh, not to make this about the Phillies, but it is going to be very interesting to see how this division shakes out. So yeah. we'll wrap this up. I want your projections for the division. I'm going to go with Cleveland first. I think Cleveland can. You know, like we laid out, they have really the best all-around team, I think, at the top. I agree. Uh, I think they've got enough depth, guys, and there's some upside with some of their hitters that I think can can make up the difference where their lineup may be lacking depth-wise with Minnesota. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, I think they've got potential to go and win more, like win in the playoffs with the pitching staff, especially if they're able to eventually go and get one more starter if they're good enough to kind of – warrant that decision down the line i think they've made the playoffs if they are on their way again that's the kind of situation where you've kind of convinced yourself that like okay last year wasn't a fluke we're legit let's do this um so i can see that uh i think the twins are probably second place just by default i'll see it when i believe it yeah see it when i believe if they're good um but like i i think they're just there's no way i can they have a very high floor i don't know how their ceiling is a good way to put it but like they're not gonna suck. There's, I'm pretty confident the Twins aren't gonna suck. Yeah. Um, begrudgingly, I'll put the White Sox third just because I think that it cannot go worse than it has like it did last year. Yeah. Um, but like famous last words there. Royals definitely fourth, and yep. the Tigers are 100% last place. Yeah, I I agree with those. I almost wanted to switch the White Sox and the Royals, but you saying. The Twins have a their floor is really high. I think the White Sox floor is really high too, and I think the Royals, like we talked about when we were talking talking about them, I think their ceiling could be really high, but I don't see it relatively really high. Let's put it that way. But I just don't see it much above five hundred. And I could see the White Sox being a five hundred team, and maybe I don't know. It's tough to say because of this because of now the more balanced schedule of being like, oh yeah, like this division winner is only going to have eighty seven wins. They could have more wins if if you know, things fall in the right place and, you know, whether that's because of injuries or whatever, but it's going to be, re- it's going to be really interesting to see now. Cause you're going to have a much better idea of what a true, you know, 90 win team looks like in terms of making yeah. the playoffs. And I think you're going to see, I think what else you'll see with this 
that that change too is you'll see you know the teams that like i always think of the dodgers who just are you know out west just rack up wins when you're already in bed i can see that being a situation where like maybe there's no great team in terms of like nobody's winning 106 105 games anymore or as much and it's like if you get to because i mean getting to 100 wins is like the equivalent of like what used to be the equivalent of basketball getting to like 60 wins like it was like holy shit they're legit you know we're in football i feel like nowadays i would say it's probably more like 14 15 but like 15 like going but like going but like going 13 and 3 in the nfl was like okay they're a contender yeah 14 and 2 they're legit that kind of thing so like i think it does you're right it evens the playing field and i think at the same time um you might see the worst teams in divisions that aren't very good yeah get, get pounded worse you know That's so you're really not gonna have, you're not gonna see the nationals just get bludgeoned because they're playing the the mets the phillies and the the braves all the time but they're also having to play the Yankees and the Rays and the Astros and stuff too. So yeah. like, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think I'm just, I, I have no idea how it's going to like, you know, play out league wide. I kind of had forgotten about that until you mentioned it, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It was something that when it got announced a year ago that I was excited about, cause like, Oh, that makes sense with the expanded playoffs. Then they announced how they were doing it and reducing the divisional games, which makes the most sense. Oh, that's great from from a, just from a fan perspective. Exactly. Like, there's nothing worse than um, my biggest complaint about baseball is always from like July on, like those dog days. The reason that they're dog days isn't just because you're in the like slog of the middle of the season. It's because it's like, oh fuck, we're playing the Royals again, or it's like, oh, we're playing so and so again. Like you well, play, that... you get it just gets so repetitive that it's like you maybe break it up once or twice. Yeah. But like last year we went to probably four Tigers games after the all-star break. And like, just coincidentally, three of them were against the Royals. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sick of the Royals. Well that, and because of that, they had to figure out how to like fit in these other games. I think half of the teams in the national league, the Phillies played six of their games within either six of nine or seven of 10 or seven of 14. Like, were against the same team because, you know, they had to fit in the weird, you know, not the weird, but the 19 games which against the Mets, against the Braves, against the whatever. Yeah. And then you have, like, the weird schedule. Like, there was always the weird, like, you played 14 of your 19 games before the All-Star break. Like, now, like, you can at least make it a little more balanced. Like, I know the Phillies schedule, like, they don't play an NL East team until, like, I think May 1st, which is kind of weird to think about, but it is, it's it's at least good. Like, I, I'm glad to see them play other teams. It's... It's going to be fun. It's going to like, it's kind of crazy to think like Jacob DeGrom leaves, leaves the league. And now they have to, they have to face him on opening day. Cause he's on the, on the Rangers right. they have to face him every year, but that's still exciting. It, it get, you know, obviously I'm going to be tuning in, but it gives like even the casual fan. And I like, uh, Oh, like this old rivalry isn't dead yet. Kind of thing. Yeah. But no, I agree. Brady, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. And, yeah, well, like I said, hold me to having you on during the season. Oh, I will. I'll I'll be back. We'll we'll talk we'll talk midseason about some 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 of our predictions and see how bad they look by then. Yeah. Um hopefully the Royals ceiling is uh, a little higher than that. I th- I feel like that's one that we could uh be glad f- gladly wrong about. Yeah, that's either going to be our best take or our worst take, I feel like. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um but yeah, everybody, thank you for listening. We will be back very soon. I don't want to give a date because we've had to move a bunch of these. Uh, but 
We'll be back very soon with more division previews. Go subscribe, all that good stuff. Brady, do you have any socials you want to plug? Yeah, at Brady underscore F-R-E-D on Twitter. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. We will talk to you later. Enjoy March Madness. And let's go Phils.